Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Now bringing you... He sat in my chair. I don't like that. <laughs> Dr. History. I won't do it again. I you promise. You better not ever sit uh, in that chair hey, again. I, I've learned my lesson. Okay. Hey, sunny day out there. No wind. It's up to 46 degrees. I wonder when it's going to crash. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh, my. How are you? I'm doing great. So, uh, folks, I haven't mentioned this for a while, but you are considered underprivileged if you have not read my book. And I haven't mentioned this for a while. You but haven't. We should have, though. Yeah. Coal Miner to Cowboy by Ken Turner. You can get it on Amazon. It's an ebook, an audible, and in print uh, on Amazon. Or if you live here, you can go to Stokes or A Child's World or out to Declo at the country store. So, folks, if you want to not be underprivileged, you need to get my book. And right over your shoulder, right over your right shoulder, is your book on my bookstand. It's an excellent book. You did a great job, and I'm proud to know you. Thank you, Zev. You're it was welcome. a fun project. You're welcome. So I'm going to talk about the uh, riverboats. We've talked a number of times about those. Uh, this is a story about a guy who uh, had not exactly a great experience on a riverboat. And uh, now, are we you, talking on the Mississippi River, Missouri? Oh, on the Missouri. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there were two types of steamboats that come into use on the Missouri. Uh, you know, they called that the Big Muddy. They said yeah. it was yeah. uh, too thin to plow and too thick to drink. <laughs> Missouri. I try to call it the big muddy. Okay. So, but the they had the big boats that could operate on the lower river and on the Mississippi, and then they had what they called the mountain boats, which could go up farther on uh, with uh, less water. They, but they couldn't carry as much. Nice. So some of the big boats did make it all the way up to Fort Benton, which was near the gold fields. Uh, you know, that's as far as they could go. Okay, Fort Benton, where in Montana? Yeah, I know, but where? close to um, you know it's kind of north uh northwestern 
part of Montana. Oh. So up. Kind of up towards when you get up to Virginia City, Nevada City, uh, Anaconda, those places. So right right up in that direction. But uh, some of the big boats did make it up there and they could, uh, you know, the gold boom was going strong. Uh, They could charge as much as $300 for a passenger and $15 a hundred pound for all the cargo that would be heading down to to the lower uh, Mississippi. How long a trip was it? Oh, two or three months. You're on that boat for two or three months. Yeah, for three hundred. Well, going down not as not as bad. Going up, it took quite a while. Wow. Yeah, but hopefully you had a good pilot. Now the pilot was the guy that that uh, knew where the sandbars were. He was <laughs> the one that you were hoping you'd want to hire him. Yes, and of course the the captain he listened to the pilot and would. Uh, to say, okay, you can go this way, go that way. So, but, uh, you know, no travelers in the history of the river endured so bad and miserable a voyage, uh, or were victimized by rascality. <laughs> Wait a minute. Time out. Uh, rascality. I got to look that up. Is that really a word, rascality? Oh, it's right here. Rascality and ineptitude. Okay, nobody was uh, the victims more than these 275 unwary people who headed downstream for St. Louis on a big stern wheeler called the Imperial. And this is in September of 1867. Okay, now keep that in mind. September, we're getting into fall. Yeah. All right. Rascality. Rascality. Yes. You're going to use that over and over now. I'm going to use it, man. It's Uh, mine. Okay. So Imperial's crew had been, been unable to get her beyond a place called Cow Island. Now, this is 180, 198 miles below Fort Benton. So they didn't even make it up to the fort. But um, her captain was determined that they was going to get some passengers on board. So he sent some men up to uh, Fort Benton, and he was going to charge them $130 apiece in gold dust per passenger. Mm. And um, so he had these guys go up there and try to get passengers to come and go, go on his boat. Okay. So uh, they were pretty persuasive. Um, they Here's what's interesting, Zeb. There were three nice steamboats right there at Fort Benton that they could have gotten on and made the trip. Right. But I guess because of a cheaper price, they decided, okay, we'll go down and get on this other boat, the Imperial. And the uh, the salesmen, so to speak, they described the Imperial as a floating palace. So the salesmen told the people that those three big steamers were just not worth it. They were mud scows, he called them. Mud scows. So they offered free transportation to take uh, people down in these open boats called Mackinaws down 198 miles to Cow Island where they would get on the Imperial. Okay, And they said, you will have a jolly good crowd and a royal good time. Really? They were good salesmen. So I'm going to take this from a young prospector named John Napton. This is his kind of his story. Now, he'd come down to Fort Benton on a horse with $1,000 in gold dust from his diggings near a place called Bear Gulch. And he was one of 275 passengers who paid the price and eventually found themselves sleeping, quote, thick as sardines in a box on the overloaded Imperial's cabin floor. So they weren't in cabins on beds. And now, 
I figured this out, and the 275 passengers would have come to $37,750 for the owner of the boat. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. So they headed downstream without a pilot. Wait a minute. This doesn't bode well. The pilot is the guy that watches out for sandbars. Sandbars, yeah. They headed downstream without a pilot. They went to ground on 132 separate sandbars and spent more than two months on the river before finally being abandoned a thousand miles from St. Louis. So Napton, uh, like I said, he tells the story. He said, uh, I was faring much better than I had, uh, according to sleeping on the, on the boat, than I had when I was a minor. But he soon began changing his mind. He said a deckhand's leg was broken by a cable, which snapped as the Imperial was being pulled off a sandbar. The man eventually died for lack of medical attention. Now, you can imagine, Zeb, at this point, the captain is going, growing a little bit unpopular. Uh, yeah. Every, day by day. Yeah. But if only because he decided that he could not free the Imperial from sandbars if the passengers did not wade around in freezing water beside the boat and shift sand by dragging a long chain under her hull. So get the picture. He's got all the passengers out in the water pushing and pulling and moving sand to get them off the sandbar. Why didn't they treat him like Captain Ahab and uh, over he goes? That's a good question. We're going to talk a little bit about I see. That. Okay. So as their situation got worse, uh, when the steamboat called the Benton, uh, one of the three, what the salesman had said were mudscows, tied up nearby after coming down river with the full steam on and running like a racehorse. And this is the one they could have gotten on up at Fort Benton, but yeah. they didn't. So the Imperial's captain refused to return passage money to 15 people who decided wisely to transfer to this other vessel. Okay, They were the smart ones. And he declined to pay the $1,000 fee, which the Benton second pilot, they had two pilots on this other boat. The good boat. The good boat. The good ship lollipop. The good, yeah. <laughs> they had two pilots, and one of them offered to pilot him down the river. Okay. But he wasn't going to pay the $1,000 uh, to help him get down the river. Wow. Well, uh, this caused a little bit of criticism uh, when the captain set out. He thought he'd just follow this other boat. I would have said that. And stay in the wake. Yep. And, uh, but uh, it landed on another sandbar, <laughs> not very far down. River. So the captain of the bad boat hit another sandbar. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
And they just watched as this another steamboat just kept on sailing down the river. And the first boat, the good boat, the lollipop, it kept was, on going. Oh, he was. Why didn't up. they turn around and go back up and help him? Uh, well, they offered, you know, but the, oh. the captain didn't. He didn't want any help. Okay. So uh, anyway, uh, the Neptune's captain, he, uh, uh, you know, again, he wasn't real popular at this time. And uh, <laughs> after the Benton left us, here's what Napton said, uh, the, the guy that's on. He said, after the Benton, the steamboat, the good one, left us, we passengers realized our situation and that some vigorous plan must be adopted. The last boat above us had passed. Winter was coming on, Uh-oh. and provisions were getting low. Uh oh! Now you might be thinking mutiny at this time. I was. We organized and had regular meetings, chairman chosen and committee appointed to see that our resolutions were enforced. One of them, everyone except the women and children of whom there were some six or eight, got off the boat in order to lighten it whenever we got stuck on a sandbar and to also pull on a hawser stretched from the boat to the land. It was the strength of 200 men who all pulled together. Notwithstanding these plans, we were only making but little headway. Some days, four or five miles, sometimes 48 hours on the same sandbar, can you imagine? They, they were stuck on a sandbar for as long as 48 what, hours. What about the women and children? Where were they housed? Well, they were just up on, on the deck. So, oh. uh, anyway, uh, as a last resort, he said, we concluded to cut away the upper deck of the boat and cash on shore all the freight, which consisted of bales of furs and buffalo hides stowed in the hold of the boat. So now he's getting rid of all the uh, cargo. Yeah, well, what about the food? Well, we're going to talk about that. Oh. <laughs> uh, the captain made us a speech and told us that if we would help a few more days, we would reach Fort Buford at the mouth of the Yellowstone Stone River, where we could get an ample supply of provisions. And since the Yellowstone was almost as large a stream as the Missouri and would bring up the river level, our troubles would be over. I see. <laughs> Not to be. So he continues uh, this Napton, John Napton. He said, we're going along, and a huge herd of buffalo began crossing the river just below the vessel. So he said, everybody was eager for the chase. Now, at this point, they didn't have a lot of food. So they lowered the two lifeboats, and they were soon full of men and on their way down the river. And uh, several concluded to, to go by land, and among them was the boat's hunter. Each boat had a hunter to try to get food for them. I see. Well, the hunter and another guy, they were out walking, and they decided to split up. And uh, anyway, the, the hunter came back and found the guy he was walking with full of arrows. This doesn't bode well. No. No. And uh, so they were a little nervous about Indians, and there was a little confusion among the hunters. And anyway, they went and retrieved the body the next day. But and they, so there was 150 people still on the boat well yeah because there was just a number of hunters that got off to, to get buffalo meat mackerel. so the imperial for all the captain's assurances did not get past the yellowstone and now it's late october oh that long yeah oh, and my. they started in september so they're what a month out now and really haven't made it very far Ooh. so more than a month into the journey and they made slower progress than ever and the captain, for whatever reason, kept blowing the whistle as a signal of distress, hoping that someone somewhere would come to their relief. 
which seems like an odd thing to do. Uh, yeah. So, so John Napton keeps going. He says, we now landed each day at some bullberry patch to give us all a full feed since the last food cooked on the boat in those starvation days was a barrel of currants with very small white worms in them. They were, did it again, folks, right close you, to the lunch hour. I love it when I do that. <laughs> yes, I do. They were served as long as they lasted, and no remarks were made because they were eating, okay, a little protein in there. So there was an old man who generally sat at the head of the long dining table, would give us a discourse on hard times in about the following style, quote, well, boys, this looks a little bad, but it might be worse. I landed in the Salt Lake Basin in 46 and lived without flour for six months, and it never worried me. This river is lined with bullberries and rosebush balls, and they are both good. You want to say that again? <laughs> no. <laughs> and you must remember, our friend, on the lower deck, has, the lower deck has two horses. A little thin, I must confess, but there is no better meat than horse flesh. And I have also noticed several dogs aboard. <laughs> he sounds like a real good salesman. <laughs> Well, Napton continues the story. He said uh, he found a fellow with better advice. Uh Quote, a man named Pitcher from St. Louis who always came out in the morning with a broad smile and apparently satisfied with the situation and with everybody. I said to him one day, Pitcher, how is it you seem so well contented? I never hear any complaint from you. He answered, to tell you the truth, John, I have had bread all the time. And if you will properly approach the steward, and at the right time, you can get bread, too, but it will cost you something. Uh-oh. So, Napton says, this I immediately did. The steward, realizing the situation, had cooked up a lot of bread. How much, I never found out. He had taken off some of the weatherboarding and stowed the bread away in the side of the cookroom and was selling it to passengers. He handed me a loaf that in any bakery could be bought for five cents and would only charge me five dollars. Five bucks. <laughs> for a loaf of bread. And, but then where could I eat it, he said to, uh, to himself, because he didn't want the other passengers to Absolutely see him. Absolutely not. So he, he said, I hid under some blankets, and that's where I ate it, uh, even though it was only four o'clock in the afternoon. So he hid under a blanket, ate his bread. So here we are. On the, he continues his story. On the 1st of November, now we're into September, now October, wait November. A it's got to be cold. It's got to be cold. We were about where the city of Bismarck is now located and where Lewis and Clark wintered with the Mandans. It was a cold, disagreeable day. The boat tied up and some of us walked to the top of adjoining bluffs to take a look at the surrounding country. It was one vast, boundless plain ending in every direction. One of the men said, quote, Look at the ice floating in the river. I tell you right now, fellows, we are in a heck of a fix. And I can imagine that's exactly, exactly the words. What he, that's yeah. what it says right yeah. here. Yeah. Not long afterward, Napton spotted an old Mackinac on a small island in the middle of the river. Uh, again, this is kind of a, a kind of like a big rowboat, yeah. okay, a Mackinac. Yeah. He asked the captain to stop the steamer so they could take a look at this Mackinac's condition. The captain refused, and the Imperial made another ten miles before tying up for the night. Well, Napton was not discouraged. Early the next morning, he and five other other men went ashore and walked back toward the toward where the abandoned boat was, and they took an axe, two oars, and some rope. 
And here's what he said. The river was three quarters of a mile wide and to us left on the bank. They found the boat buried in four or five feet of sand, mud and driftwood and dug it with the oars and the axe. While they were working at the boat, we saw Indians coming over the bluff on the opposite side from us Hmm. until there must have been about 300 of them. Oh, my. They shouted and made all manner of signs with their blankets, but would not venture in the river. And I was never more relieved in my life than one of the men uh, said that the boat was ready to go. We jumped into the boat. We went down to the Imperial and bade our friends goodbye. They just sailed right on past the Imperial. They went by? Yeah. Well, they were in something that was going to float and not get stu- stuck oh. on sandbars. So they left all those other people just standing there. Well, keep, let me uh, keep, we're still Well, there. hurry up. <laughs> okay. I know. We're almost out of time. Okay. Quote. <laughs> Sometime during the night, uh, first night after we left her, two more boats came down upon us at full speed in the moonlight. They were passengers who had stolen both the lifeboats. <laughs> leaving her crew in a helpless condition as these boats were needed every day in hunting for the channel of the river. They could make better time than we could and soon disappeared downstream. There were 12 of us in the Mackinac and four of us worked the oars all the time. We traveled all day and all night when not too dark. And one day when the wind was favorable, we hoisted our blankets for sails and we thought we made fully a hundred miles. We hired horse wagons at Yankton to take us to Sioux City, took a stage to St. Joe and arrived at Boone Missouri, exactly three months after leaving Bear Gulch, Montana. Oh, my good! What happened to the crew? The, the Imperial eventually reached a point 150 miles from Sioux City, where the passengers were, passengers were put ashore without refunds, and the boat was later sold at public auction. Wow. So, you know, the word patience comes to mind. Uh, I wouldn't have had any. Now, now the, the the story goes on to say that really most captains were much better. They took care of their passengers uh, as far as food, safety. Wow. They had pilots to know where the sandbars were. And, and still, there were explosions. There were, yeah. They'd still get hung up on sandbars. The rascality of the it rascality all. The rascality of it all. And the ineptitude. <laughs> I love it. Doctor History, you did it again.